Stevie Lomas is the founder of Camel Soap Factory. Now, if you live in the UAE, you probably recognize that brand because her soaps are for sale throughout several touristic places and at the airport in the UAE. But what I didn't know is the journey that Stevie has gone on to build that business and to build such a recognizable brand. And I loved hearing about how she went from not knowing anything about soap making to building this huge brand, which is a powerhouse within the UAE, and also her plans for global expansion. One of the greatest things about Female Fusion is our members. We are made up of female entrepreneurs from all over the world, every nationality, every culture, and we are united in our drive for building profitable businesses. And that is why over the next 30 days, I am so excited to share with you stories of our members and sharing with you their tales of how they got started, the highs and lows of business, and their top tips to inspire you along the way. Welcome to another episode of Women on the Rise and our special series where we are interviewing 30 female entrepreneurs from Female Fusion who are sharing their stories of how they got started, how they did it, and how they grew and scaled their business. And today I'm joined by Stevie Lomas, who is the founder of the Camel Soap Factory in Dubai. Welcome to the show, Stevie. Thanks, Jen. I'm delighted to be here. I'm so happy to have you. You um, you have a business that if you live in the UAE, a lot of people recognize your brand. I would love for you to tell everybody a bit about the Camel Soap Factory, how you got started and what you do. Well, the Camel Soap Factory really has its origins probably about 12 years ago. Um, my husband and I were traveling around Australia and um, we came across this amazing um, factory called the olive oil soap factory and it was stuck in the Australian bush but there were coach loads of people coming to it and it was really beautiful and it was really showcasing local product and I looked at it and I thought oh my gosh this is what Dubai, Dubai needs um, I've been here 22 years and when I when I first came here there was very little that you could buy that was uniquely local that was regional that used regional ingredients and that was beautiful um, I mean you could buy beautiful pashminas from India or you could buy gorgeous little stuffed camels made in China but there was not much other than dates to be quite honest um, so I thought to create a product um, made with something regional camel milk um, I loved natural soaps, I loved natural products, and I thought they, 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 there is a market for this, and that's really how it all started. Well, and so that was 12 years ago. That was 12 years ago, yeah. Now, you started, your other career was... <laughs> Nothing to I do mean, with soap. Is, but, you know, I love this, right, because, I, and I also think, too, that it's really inspiring for women who are maybe working at the moment, working in a corporate job and going... I want to do something else, but maybe have that fear of going, but I can't because my career is this and how could I go to something else? So you, your background was electronic payments. It was, yeah. So I was in fintech business for, for years, 20 years. Um, but so a couple of things happened. I felt pregnant when I was 47 years old with my first child and 
I decided that I really wanted her really badly and having her at age 48, I thought is not compatible to going back to the kind of hours I was working in the fintech business. So I was, I was, I was looking around for ideas and I think because of my own family background, my dad's my dad was an amazing entrepreneur. I wasn't scared of, of trying something different and reaching and, and, and reaching out. And I think a lot of people also think you have to be quite young to be an entrepreneur. But oh. actually it's experience that makes all yeah. the difference to success. And, you know, I was reading something. I actually did a podcast episode on this a while ago where they actually said that your likelihood of success having a, a business increases with age. It does. So the older you are, the higher the likelihood of succeeding. And I read that because I'm nearly 50 and I was like, Do you know, the yes. med- median age is over 50 for yes. really successful startups, and entre- which, which takes people quite by surprise. Right? Yes. Yeah. And so that is where I say to people, it doesn't matter what age you are. And I, I we have a a couple of members in Female Fusion who are in their 60s, who went from like a completely different career, left that career and were like, I don't want to retire and have set up businesses. And they, even to me, are so inspiring. Like we have one entrepreneur and she is like incredible at Instagram. She's like 65 years old and she's done all these courses and her Instagram is on fire. <laughs> so it's so cool to see like what women can create when they're older. Yeah. As well. And I also think there's this, I think there's a view that, you know, life stops at 60, you retire. Oh, yeah. um, but actually it doesn't, it doesn't. It's, it's To me, it's almost like, my prime. I've, I feel that I'm so much wiser now than I was in my 40s or even 50s, to be honest. Wow. And so, okay, so take me through how you started then, because you you went to Australia, you had this idea. So what did, you came back to Dubai and how did it all well, begin? Well, I didn't know anything about making soaps. So I googled best soap maker in the world. And this name kept coming up, a lady called Melinda Koss, who remains to this day my mentor. She's well into her 70s and the most amazing woman. She lives in France. And I saw she was running courses in London. Um, so I, I I went over to London to do her soap making course, her cream course. And then she ran, more importantly, a business course, how to start a soap business. Um, it, it was it was quite make do. Melinda in those days was um, she was a lot smaller than she is now, um, a lot less practiced as a coach, but she was amazing, um, and I found her really inspirational. She founded the biggest natural soap company in the UK um, in the nineties. She she was amazing, the natural oh. soap company. Oh yeah. And um, so I googled her, went on her course, and then came home and just experimented a little bit. Um, my husband kind of said to me one day, well, are you just going to fart around with these soaps all the time or are you actually going to start a business? And I went, wait, I'm going to start a business. Yes, <laughs> yes. Um, which he regrets to this day. So. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I had to learn everything. I had to learn about manufacturing. I had to learn about supply chains. I had to learn everything. Melinda was amazing um, and that's always one of my big pieces of advice to people starting out, fundamental. Yes. Whether you pay for her or him or not, doesn't matter. I paid Melinda and it really focused me. 500 pounds a month is really focusing when you're when, when you're not earning an awful lot. 
Um, but she helped me with everything. So the business actually started at home. I was one of the first expats to get a license to manufacture from home. Um, a lot has changed since then. Um, but in, in those days, it, w- it was acceptable to, to manufacture personal care products at home. Um, and I went to a few fairs. And I remember a friend of mine inviting me to the Dubai International School for their Christmas fa- fair. And I took my little soaps wrapped up in their little bags with my little homemade tags and I sold everything to my astonishment. Um, and I was booked to go to another school fair and I had to cancel because I had no more no product. product. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, and that's when I said to my husband, there's a business here, Brian. There's a business. I, I think we can make this work. So my, my daughter's nanny at the time, I said to her, do you want to stay a nanny? Would you like to come work in the business with me? And she said, oh, I'd love to learn how to make soaps. And she's actually gone back to the Philippines and is making product in the Philippines oh, as so well. Oh, so she set up her own business She set as up well. her own business in the Philippines, which is amazing, yeah. So she joined me and my husband kindly gave me half of his shed and we, we got bigger and bigger just through fairs. We, we did Arte. And I think the big advantage of doing it that way is I really learned about my customer base and I learned about who I was selling to, why people were buying, what they liked. It was it was quite invaluable. And to this day, I like to do markets yeah. because it's a really good way of touching my customer and, and, and speaking, speaking to them. Um, the big turnaround came when um, I got a license and got the products registered with Dubai Municipality and I was able to go to retailers and I had my eye on one retailer in particular, a gift retailer, and I knew that if I could just persuade them to put me on, on their shelves, we would probably be away. Um, and I remember talking to, it was a family-owned business, the brother, and he said to me, oh, well, we don't sell soaps. And I said, these are not soaps, these are gifts. And his sister got it and she said, well, let's try you at our shop in Dubai Mall. And the rest was was history. Um, it just took off after that. Yeah, all it takes sometimes is that one, one, yeah. the one break and then you get, you, you make it there and then you get in front of everybody and then everybody wants to have yes, you exactly, as well. Yes, exactly, exactly. And did you ever face... A moment where you were kind of going, oh, I'm making all these soaps. It's really hard work. Is this going to be a business? Did you ever have that, those doubts? No, I always knew it was going to be a good business. I was, I think I was just, I had such faith in the idea. Um, And I'd done, and because I'd done so much groundwork at the fairs and markets, I just knew there was a market. It was just how how we were going to take it out to market and who I was going to partner with to, yeah. to, to, to do it, yeah. But what you said is so important as well, and I, I wish that more businesses would do this, that having that research in the beginning, be able to talk to your customers, to be really clear on what it is that they're, they're yes. looking for. Yeah, and it's, it's again, you know, we, we now do quite a lot of um, contract manufacture for, for a lot of small companies here in the UAE. And what I do say to them is don't just jump on a bandwagon. You need to be authentic and you need to really understand who you're selling to. Because if you don't, you won't sell your product. Yeah. yeah. And you need to have a bit of that niche, right? There needs to be. There does, absolutely. Yeah. And that's where talking to your customers 
is so invaluable. And I say this all the time, and I'm sure you see this as well when you meet entrepreneurs sometimes. And they're like, well, my product isn't selling. And you're like, did you talk to your customers? Have you been to the markets? Have you brought your product? Have people been able to touch and feel it to give you that feedback? No, I'm, I'm really introverted. I feel really uncomfortable with that. Oh, I get that. I I do. I get that. And it's really hard, I think, to to go out of your comfort zone, but you have to. Mm. Because that's the only way that your business is going to grow. Yep. And you're going to have to take rejection. And rejection can be hard (laughs) sometimes. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) Did you... Uh, when building your business, did you did you find that you faced rejection, that you spoke with maybe retailers or you tried to do things and you were told I, no? I, I did. Um, and, it, and it was tough. I think that, that, that whole issue of rejection got was really focused for me. You know, when COVID happened, we lost 95% of our business overnight due to COVID. It was an absolute disaster because our business was tourism. Yeah. We were aimed at the 20 million tourists coming into the country um, and they disappeared and so did our business. And I really had to go out and out of my comfort zone to, to ask for help, to approach people. And I learned I had to dig really deep into myself and it was a massive learning experience um, and I think the most amazing thing is to discover how nice people are yeah. and how willing to help. It's, it's, I mean, there's so much talk about how rough business is, mean people are, but then they're actually people want to help. People yeah. want to be useful. They want to help if they can. Yeah. I think as well, especially other business owners, right? Yeah. Like we're all, we're all going through a similar journey. We're at different stages, but we all face similar challenges as we're, we're building our business. And I find the generosity of so many other business owners and ones who are very experienced of helping other businesses is really powerful as well. Yes. Because all it takes is that one conversation sometimes with somebody and you're like, Okay, yes, I could try that. And that one conversation changes the trajectory of your business. Very much so, yeah. yeah. And so when, when COVID happened, what, what changes did you make in your business as a result of that? Oh, well, I think in a way we were, we were kind of lucky. And I know a lot of businesses thought, you know, it's going to last a couple of months. We'll, <laughs> but our business was 60% of our soaps were going out to China, we knew they were going out and our big market was into Asia. And those flights stopped in January 2020. So we had a really good inkling of what... So we had to make immediate changes. We had redundancies, which was extraordinarily sad. Um, you know, we operate almost as a family and yeah. saying goodbye to people was was, was heartbreaking. It, it was awful. Um, but to try and preserve as many jobs as I could, um, I ask staff whether, the, you know, we either lose people or we all take a, a cut in salary. And they all said we'd rather take a cut in salary. So they lived on much lower salaries for, for quite a long time, um, well over a year actually. But that enabled us just to, to limp through. Um, it also 
you know, I think before COVID, we were kind of a one focus, one niche company. And what COVID did was made us look at what we did and look at what we did well and change. A uh, it just changed our strategy a little bit. Um, one of the things I realised is that we have this amazing manufacturing facility. My mentor had said to me, don't manufacture, find somebody to manufacture for you. But I couldn't find anybody. So yeah. I ended up having to open a factory. Um, but I've discovered since then that there are dozens and dozens of people who want to, to start their business and they need a manufacturing facility. And we had that. So Amazing. we now manufacture for probably close to 30 companies here really? in the UAE. Small companies, startups, some of them. Some of them are a bit more, um, um, have been around a little longer. But perfumers, personal care, beauty products, spas, um, all of those need the smaller facilities that we offer because the, the big firms, the MRQs are so high. Yeah. It's really hard for a startup business to order 10,000 units of something. But we can offer a very high quality, reasonably priced um, um, article at a price that an entrepreneur can afford. It's great. And that's been amazing. So that's been a, a big change to our business and that's actually something that I didn't know about your business either. You're enabling other small businesses to manufacture, which is amazing. Do you have many women-owned businesses that are part of that? Almost all women-owned businesses, which is the the most amazing thing, yeah. Um, a lot of women, I think, who have children or dream about starting, and many of them were at home um, during the pandemic and decided this is the time to, to, to do what we needed to do. And it feels quite special being part of all of that. We've learned a lot. I mean, it's it's not always been really easy moving from manufacturing only for our brand to manufacturing for um, a lot of brands. But it's certainly enabled us to, to scale our business um, and also enabled us to look at different products for ourselves. Yeah. Yeah. So it's win-win on both sides, really. That's incredible. I've loved seeing some of our members as well, especially at the beginning of the pandemic, where they went into doing things like manufacturing oils or soaps or creams and seeing just how much they've grown as well. They're probably manufacturing. A lot of them might be with us already. Yeah. yeah. Yes, exactly. It, I, it's just so interesting. I don't know if you found this. I was speaking to another entrepreneur about this the other day that as painful as COVID was, it was actually transformational for our businesses. I totally agree. And the one thing that I've always said um, is that if we survived COVID, we would be a way better company than yeah. what we were at the start. And I think... I think in every way it, it, it forced us to look at process, it forced us to, to really tighten up on how we did things. You know, when, when things are going really well, you tend not to focus on um, streamlining things or you spend too much money on, on things that aren't really that important. What COVID did was it focused us really on what was essential to keep the business going. And we run really tightly now as a result of that. And I don't think that will ever change. That's good. And the other thing you mentioned as well is, I guess you've also diversified your customer base. Very much so. Because 90% of your customers just on tourists 
when tourism is great, that's great, but yep. then it's also a risk yes. when we have things that happen. That's been a learning experience. Um, we have diversified our product range massively um, with with creams um, and solid hair care. So we, we try to, to stick to what's important to us, which is sustainable manufacture, environmentally sensitive products. It is a challenge in this part of the world because yeah. not many people – it's not top of many people's agenda. People like to talk sustainable. They like to talk clean beauty. But at the end of the day, it's not the number one criteria yeah. for choice of product. And that's been an interesting challenge for us. Um, but we're learning. Um, I think we're learning to tailor our marketing, learning to understand. Um, we're learning to understand a little bit more about what people are really um, looking for in product. And I'll give you an example. We we did a, a show about six months ago and I had the opportunity to, to speak to probably 250 women about their hair and it was an eye-opener for me because, you know, we'd created these beautiful products, tested them, but I realised that our testers were all people who were quite committed to the same cause as we were, you know, yeah. friends, family. Yeah. They, they think the same as us. Talking to these women um, at this market, I realised that they, uh, their worries, they, they wanted something sustainable and environmentally friendly, but that was a secondary requirement. What they wanted was something that would solve the problems that they were having with their hair. And that... Believe, I mean, you'd think that would be really obvious, but sometimes you miss the obvious yeah. when, when you develop product. And it goes back to talking to your customers, yep. doesn't it? It does, it does, it does. And, it, it, you know, I just, I find this so fascinating because the businesses that are doing really well really have the finger on the pulse of their customers. The ones that don't, because I have these conversations, I meet so many businesses that they haven't, ever had those conversations or if they do it will be the friends and family or I had somebody say to me well why do I need to speak with them because I'm my ideal customer <laughs> right <laughs> no you are not no exactly yeah <laughs> so it just goes to show as well the power of that even though you were really in touch that you wouldn't have automatically thought because when you said it I thought I bet price is number one I bet that's what they care about the most is price no nope. And they want something the to solve the problems. Water in this region is hard. Yeah, it's terrible. And people, hair loss, I mean, I would say 80% of the women said they're suffering from hair loss or itchy scalps. And that was a real surprise. Um, so we'd made assumptions. And so even with experience, you, in, you can make assumptions and then you just have to be open and I guess humble enough to just say, okay, maybe we got this slightly wrong. Let's just change how we market and how we sell a product. And so that was with your hair care line. And after doing that and getting all of that feedback, have you seen that sales increase? Yes, we sell? have. We have. It, it, you know, the UAE is quite a small market. And for us, we're, we're going to have to go out to, to, to wider markets. And we're really looking at... at at creating consumer products that can go out and be exported now. That, that's our next focus. And how, how do you tackle that? Because, again, I'm sure a lot of women listening to this are like, okay, 
I'm sorted in whatever market I'm in, whether it's the UAE or another market, because we have listeners all over the world. But how do you go beyond your borders? Yeah, that's so that there, there are a number of ways. Um, you can do it the hard way and do all the research and go out traveling, but actually there are companies that specialize in connections. Um, quite a few of them. There's you know companies like Product Guru in the U- UK. There's um, very there's there's consultants whose business is to connect you to uh, people in markets. So that is that's one way. The other is going to shows. Um, um, you do have to spend a little money. Um, I work really closely with um, a lot of the Dubai. Chambers, Dubai Chambers, Dubai Exports, and they're amazing because they really want to push UAE-based companies, um, and they've they've taken us on on, on a number of um, country visits to introduce us to to potential new customers. So the, the, there are a lot of ways that you, that you can do it. Um, I think the important thing is to decide on where you want to go because, again, I think what we've learned is that you can spread yourself too thin. Yeah, the world's a big place. It, 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 <laughs> it is, and, and sometimes I think we bite off more than we can chew and we have realised that it's probably better to choose one place and focus on that. And have you chosen that place yet? Are you yeah, able to talk we're, about it? Or? Yeah, we're, we're, we're really focused on Asia and the GCC are the two areas that okay. we think will have most opportunity. Um, and that's where we're focusing most of, of our attention because we know historically that the product has sold really well to the Chinese. Um, okay. they, there's a quality to a handmade soap that they particularly like. Um, not all Westerners like that, funnily enough. Yeah. Um, so we think it, it makes sense for us to continue to, to work in the markets that we know traditionally have, have really liked the products. And that's important too, because I, I, I noticed that a lot of entrepreneurs think that making it, going to another market often means the United States. And I'm like, that is going to be one hard market oh, to go and penetrate. It's it is, and it's an expensive market totally. to, to penetrate. But but more than that, there's a lot of competition there. Yeah. Um, you 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 need a really good partner there, or somebody who really understands the market. But again, you, you know, just through contacts and through networks, um, we've been introduced to people whose business it is to help. Yeah. entrepreneurs get their businesses up and running. So if you're prepared to, to pay for the mentorship, the guidance, the coaching, there are people who will do that for you um, if you've, you're focused and, and need to do so. And it is so important to invest in you in growing your business. Yep. And that's one of the lessons I've learned. I've been an entrepreneur for over 20 years now. And in the beginning, I didn't invest in myself. I was... It didn't even occur to me. I was so focused on building my business and didn't think about it. The moment that I started really investing in myself was where I saw the growth. Yes. And it's it's funny that it some people don't see that correlation, that they're like, no, I'm building my business. I don't have any money. And like, but if you spend, you're going to get there faster. You're going to take away all of that pain of all the mistakes that you're going to make. You'll still make some mistakes, but you'll have somebody who's been there holding your hand 
nurturing you to get oh, there. I just, I just absolutely believe in the power of leaning on somebody else's experience. It, it just makes, it makes all the difference. Yeah. And you're, you're a relatively new member for, for Female Fusion. How have you found your, your experience so far? I love networks. I, I just know the power of, of, of networks. Um, I've belonged to, to other networking organisations uh, previously. It's what carried me through COVID um, was the networks that I belong to. So for me, uh, joining Female Fusion is one is that so many women that I know and respect belonged. And I thought, okay, I need to be here too. <laughs> so you had the FOMO. <laughs> <laughs> I had FOMO, yeah. But also it's the for, for what got me through COVID was the power of my networks. And if I had not had the contacts that I had through my networks, I don't think we would have survived. Yeah. It's it's the network and it I always say your network is your net worth, but it's so true that those are the people that are going to yeah. help you when yeah. you need it. You know, I was talking to a member the other day. She's got a bigger business and I didn't even know this. And she was like, yeah, I'm doing angel investing in some of the female fusion businesses that I've met. And I was like, I love that. Like, that's just what it's about that you have that network in that community and everybody comes together and nurtures each other. Yes. No. And, and that's what I love about it. And I, so I'm, I'm joining your mastermind session. Yes. 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 So I'm looking, really looking forward to that. And I think for me, what I'm looking forward to is just shared experiences with people in similar businesses uh, to mine. And I find, I always find it invaluable. Um, just being with other companies, even if they're in totally different areas, I learn so much yeah. from, from from other businesses. And it's what I find too is you kind of, it is lonely what we go through sometimes and you kind of want to have your friends, even if it's completely different businesses, that get it, that will be like, oh yeah, you know, I've had that similar problem or know what it's like to go through that experience just to cheer you on and to support you in a way that friends who don't have businesses understand that. Yeah. And, so, and again, you know, a lot of people will say, what's it like starting a business? <laughs> I don't advise everybody to think about it. I, I'm not sure everybody is well suited to it. It's a, it is lonely. Yeah. Um, and there are marvelous things to be had out of working in a beautiful company that's supportive with lots of training and lots of money. Um, and sometimes having your own company, it, it's it's not just lonely business. It's, it's quite a Spartan time as well. Um, it's not all, it's not all roses. Yeah. It's, it's not always a lot of fun. Um, but for me, I find it really fulfilling. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. You know, I sort of feel I'm completely unemployable now because I've been an entrepreneur for so long. Me too. <laughs> but <laughs> would we want to be employed? Probably not. I think I'm unemployable, actually, because yeah. I just enjoy the freedom that I have Yeah. Um, to do as I please, to be my own boss. And, and that's I think that's what I love the most about it is that I'm in charge of the direction of my life. Yes. And I mean, it's hard work. 
Uh, and we're not working 10 hours a week on our laptops by the beach. Um, that would be everybody's dream, but it gives you that freedom. And I know you mentioned that you had your daughter when you were 48, that I find as well, just having that time to take extended holidays or to go to school where if you worked in a company, maybe you wouldn't be able yes, to do exactly. that. Yes, yeah. exactly. That, that's powerful. And the beauty is, is my daughter's interning for me at the moment. And she always said to me, Mom, I'm never going to business. And it's really interesting. She's, she's secretly quite enjoying it. Yeah. <laughs> I think she's starting to see maybe this is why Mum likes this. Yeah. Which is really interesting. Yeah. Well, when they're surrounded by it, they don't know anything different, right? That's right. Yeah. And because my, my daughter is 14 and it's, I find it's interesting even just the lessons that she's learned about entrepreneurship and having a business that, you know, I, I heard her having a conversation with her friend the other day talking about profit and what that meant. Because <laughs> they were talking about buying something and then maybe they could sell it. And Eva was trying to explain to her friend about profit. And I thought, this is so cool. You know, you're You must have been so old. proud. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I was like, this is so awesome, you know, that they, they have that understanding and knowledge of business. She's probably going to want to go do something completely different, but to know that that is a possibility and to have that understanding about how business works is really important. Yes. Yeah. So what's next for you? You've kind of changed the direction of Camel Soap Factory since the pandemic. What's next? Well, I always had a big dream. Um, I really admired Anita Roddick of yes. The Body Shop. I thought she was an amazing woman. And my big dream is always to be seen as the body shop of the Middle East and then to take that to a much wider market. To do that will require um, further investment. Um, during COVID, we, we, we got two marvellous investors into the company. Um, but we're actually in the process of discussing um, a potential investment in the company to allow us to develop more consumer-focused products. Um, our products at the moment are really quite niche um, mm -hmm. for, a, for a gifting sector. Even the newer products, I'd say, are still quite niche. Um, but we think we can take our story to a wider market and we're talking, I'll need help. Um, it's not my area of expertise, um, FMCG or CPG, um, consumer products. But I think with the right partner, um, we could probably we could probably take these products to to a lot of other countries. And that's what I'm really excited about. I love seeing our businesses go global. I love seeing, you know, products from this region going internationally. So cool. I know you're going to do it. You're oh, thank you. <laughs> I'm, <laughs> I'm hoping. so excited for the future for you. That's yeah, amazing. Thank you. Stevie, thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thanks for listening to the Women on the Rise podcast and our 30 most inspiring female entrepreneurs. 
If you are inspired by today's episode, why not come and join us in Female Fusion? We would absolutely love to have you. This is where you will be able to connect with the most incredible female entrepreneurs who are all committed to building a most profitable business. All you need to do is head over to femalefusionnetwork.com forward slash join. I look forward to seeing you on the inside. Thank you.